for the News and Observer. I'm Dawn Vaughn, your host for this episode of Under the Dome for the week of Monday, May 22nd, 2023. I'm here today with my politics team colleagues, Luciana perez Ignasi, and Avi Bajpai. Um, it's been another wild week at the legislature. Maybe every week is a wild week at the mm-hmm. legislature. I don't, you know, it's, yeah, we're, uh, we've had a lot of caffeine, I think, and um, we'll need more for whatever else happens this yeah. session. So we've got a lot to get through to talk about some of the the big things to know going into this week as you all are listening. Um, And let's start with maybe the most dramatic moment, I guess. Like it's uh, the veto override vote, uh, not just in the Senate, but the House, which is the one that overturned uh, Governor Cooper's veto. So um, take a listen to that, what that final override vote was like in the House. The question before the House is the motion that Senate Bill 20 become law, notwithstanding the objections of the governor. All those in favor will vote aye. All of those opposed will vote no. The clerk will open the vote. The clerk will lock the machine and record the vote. With 72 having voted in the affirmative and 48 in the negative, the motion carries. Having passed by the requisite three-fifths vote, the House has overridden the governor's veto and the bill becomes law, notwithstanding the governor's objections. So be notified. The gentleman from Caldwell. Actually, just a moment. The sergeant at arms will clear those who can't follow the rules. So there was, I mean, people, the house is live streamed now, so people got to see some of that. A lot of people were in the building. Mm -hmm. We were actually in the room where Mm -hmm. it happened. Uh, What do you think people didn't see that um, either watched the live stream or heard about it or the protesters that were in the gallery or not. I remember the, the, the Senate override vote earlier, all of the, uh, the pro-life crowd lined up, filled most of the gallery yeah. and the protesters, mm-hmm. abortion rights folks were outside. So you could kind of hear them outside the glass, um, but it was different in the house because they had that time to get over there and fill that gallery up. Yeah, yeah. So in the House, it got a little bit rowdy, as you saw in the video, after the final override vote and people started screaming shame really loudly. And that's happened before, but this time it was, I think, significantly louder. And the representatives also had signs that said something like, uh, politicians don't make good doc. They make crappy doctors. Yeah, they yeah. make crappy doc or Yeah, cruddy, crappy, something like yeah. that. So it got a little bit more rowdy than other times and it was also really packed for reporters i was sitting uh way in the back which was nice that they allowed us to kind of shift our typical locations which, which typically is not allowed yeah yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. so and that was something speaker Moore did because uh the, with the press corps and there are a lot of visiting press from yep. out of town and we have a lot more room in the senate corners in the house that's cramped we just have a few seats mm-hmm. with the sergeant at arms but Moore had asked the sergeant at arms to like let us sit in some of overflow staff seats so that but and then the galleries of course were crowded too and yeah. everybody watching otherwise and yeah so, i oh. mean things things getting rowdy towards the end not necessarily <laughs> unprecedented you know it kind of goes with the territory this is the most uh, dare i say like the most um controversial contentious you know mm-hmm. bill to come up this session um so people sort of know what to expect it's not 
really a surprise. Um, there's lots of strong, strong feelings on both sides of the debate. Um, what kind of struck me with this week's, uh, or, or rather last week's um, final debates right before Republicans over this veto was that, you know, there was sort of a bit of a sense of inevitability, um, mm -hmm. I thought, because, you know, it felt like both parties kind of knew where this is going. Um, the Republicans said for months that they were going to craft a bill that they knew was going to pass, and that's what they basically did. Uh, rolled it out in early May and within a week or 10 days or whatever it was, um, the bill had been signed, enacted into law. Um, yeah. So we, we sort of had a, a, a good idea of where this was going. It was just a matter of, honestly, when it was going to happen. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I think the override, too, um, was going to happen pretty quick. There was, I mean, the Senate rules are that you notify the 24 hours. The House doesn't have to do that. So, you know, somebody said that Speaker Moore isn't going to call the vote unless he has the votes. But you can put things on the calendar and not call the vote because yeah. they did that in, I think, 2019 with the partial um, birth abortion override, which at that point was, you know, there was not a super majority. So that was more political messaging for a campaign where they were going to call that. And they were basically trying to catch Democrats, not not there. So there was like this whole summer of Monday sessions where it was on the calendar and are they going to call it or not, but they just wanted to, to get this done because I think those feelings were so, were so high. And um, I thought the protests weren't as long, maybe because things had spread out over time with when it passed mm -hmm. each chamber, what, two weeks ago now? Yeah. And then, you know, Cooper held his, he does a lot of bill signing ceremonies, but his um, his veto, veto ceremony was kind of like rallying the troops mm -hmm. to come, you know, on, on Bicentennial Plaza with him. And so that would be a third, fourth, fifth time that people would need to come um, downtown if they're not already downtown or come to the building to, to have yeah. their say. So Take it was time cool. off work, potentially. Right. That's a big factor for people. Well, the over, I, mean, I feel like the Senate was probably mm -hmm. kind of the end of a typical work day. The House yeah. was a little bit after dinner time. So it's maybe a bit people more who got off work would... Um, we came for that, but I mean, the not, you know, not as late as we were necessarily expecting. Yeah. We thought it might go a little bit later, but yeah, there was no dark of there, of night, it no. wasn't dark yet, it was <laughs> not, like not, eight something, yeah, or, you yeah. Know. just on the cusp of <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. if you yeah, like city council meetings go to like midnight, yeah. you know, state government actually ends um, much earlier in the day. The, one thing I did notice with uh, different debates this week is that them uh, noting at five o'clock on the dot that the pages get to go home because oh, you know yeah. teenagers. <laughs> yeah. so they get to end their their days at the usual end of a government work day where it you know is like very a mindful. couple hours yeah. yeah yeah but on the like earlier time frame that's kind of the inevitability that you mentioned the debate was a lot shorter than the previous just hearings on the bill so i think that was also just like democrats weren't doing so many um constitutional uh, parliamentary moves and such. So mm -hmm. I think that was also kind of like a, well, it's coming. I feel like the House didn't do what the Senate, with the Democrats didn't do what the Senate did when the bill first went, or the all, all Senate Democrats talked, mm -hmm. but in the House it was a few, and then they had tried, you know, different measure, and that ended the debate. So for mm -hmm. the override, they all talked, and more let them all talk. And, you know, reporters asked him after that final vote, um, what did you think with, you know, the gallery? And he's like, well, that's just what's going to happen. So I think even everybody knows how, like you were saying, with inevitability, everyone knows that, like, people are going to be very upset about it, and that's just what's going to happen. And One other thing I'd, I'd add just really quickly is that um, 
you know, one of the things kind of the dynamics I think you see going on here with what you're mentioning about the protests sort of being spread out and it not sort of being like a consecutive days of, you know, really huge, um, huge turnouts, not to sort of, you know, um, say that it wasn't significant. It's still significant when you have hundreds of people come to the legislature, um, stand outside the gallery. I mean, uh, on the day of the override vote, you still had lots of people standing with holding up their signs, basically plastered over the gallery walls, um, trying to get in. But one of the sort of dynamics at play here, I think, is that, you know, in line with this sort of being inevitable, both parties are sort of now kind of moving on and positioning for where does this go next? Um, looking ahead to next year, I mean, there is a lot of time between now and any serious election talk. I don't want to sort of um, preempt that uh, too much. We have a lot of time before um, the election gets underway, the campaign gets underway, but um, looking at the governor's race and um, obviously control of the legislature, what happens with the Republican supermajorities, um, I think that's what both parties are also kind of keeping in mind. Yeah. That's what you sort of see with the governor's rally as well. It's not just, you have Attorney General Josh Stein there, who's you know the basically presumptive Democratic frontrunner, basically talking about how this mm -hmm. isn't like a fight for this week or right now. This is a fight we have to mobilize for the next several months or year, basically, leading up. I think a lot of the politicians are very <laughs> conscious of the role of the media in showing them um, and however they're going to use this in the in the next campaign, and it's you know a decision that's going to follow people politically for a long time. The Democrats, of course, are already talking about Republicans could be even stricter next time, so maybe that'll change this next election cycle. Maybe it won't. So speaking of cameras and things recorded, we're going to take a quick <laughs> break and come back and talk about a different very volatile moment in the House chamber this week. Uh, we'll be right back with more on that, what's coming ahead in uh, General Assembly action and our headliners of the week. We'll be right back. You're listening to Under the Dome. I'm News and Observer State Capitol Bureau Chief Don Vaughn here with Luciana Perez, Uribe Ignasi, and Avi Bajpai. Before the break, we were talking about the other contentious thing that happened in the House this week. I was over in the Senate for a pretty run-of-the-mill boring budget debate since the budget <laughs> is uh, not very contentious, or at least not yet, this session. Um, but over in the House, they were debating, I think it was opportunity scholarships, mm -hmm. right? Avi? Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, uh, sort of prolonged debate, um, Representative Trisha Cotham's bill um, on uh, vouchers for uh, private schools. And um, yeah, Representative Abe Jones, uh, Democrat from Wake, was speaking about his um, opposition to the, to the bill and basically this, you know, where he falls on this side of this debate over, um, over school choice. And uh, yeah, something that I don't think anyone was really expecting to happen or to come up. Um, he was giving his remarks, and um, Representative uh, Jeff McNeely of Iredell County uh, got up uh, to ask him a question. And um, in the vein of sort of asking his question about school choice, said to, to Representative Jones, basically, you know, um, did he think, uh, you know, um, did you get into Harvard because you're black or an athlete? Right? Yeah, basically. Do you yeah. think that you would have achieved that success? Um, and uh, we have a we have a clip of that for anyone who missed it. Yeah. So here's that exchange with Representative Abe Jones, rep uh, the Democrat, Representative Jeff McNeely, the Republican, and then House Democratic Leader Robert Reeves, a uh, part of that as well. So take a listen to what that exchange was. Mr. Speaker, can I ask the representative a question? 
Uh, Representative Jones, does the gentleman yield to a question from the gentleman from Iredale, Representative McNeely? I absolutely will yield. Yes, he sir. Yields. Representative Jones, I, I want to ask you the question is, I understand that you went into public school and you went to Harvard and Harvard Law. And the question, I guess, is uh, would you have been able to maybe achieve this if you were not an athlete or a minority or any of these things, but you were a student trapped in a school that the slowest you know, in, in the wild, we'll say the, the slowest gazelle does not survive, but yet the herd moves at that pace. So the brightest child sometimes is held back. And Speaker, don't be point of order. Jim uh, may say his point of order. Okay, I'm, I'm hoping I wasn't the only one that got shocked by that comment that the only reason you went to Harvard is because you were black and an athlete. I did not say that. I said, would that, did that end up being one of the reasons? I do not know that. I asked okay. him this. Right. I asked him this. Okay. All right. I don't mind answering. Jim doesn't answer the question. Um, sorry, I was reading a note here, so I didn't hear what was. Well, I, I apologize, and I'll reframe. I'll reframe. Uh, I, 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 the gentleman from Iredale is no longer recognized. Uh, for what purpose, the lady from Wake, Representative Gill, rise. Uh, Representative Jones, do you still have the floor, sir, to debate? It's time to wrap up. Gentleman has floor to wrap up his remarks. I just want to say that uh, I'm just going to say one thing. Harvard had five rankings for their students. One, two, three, four, five. And when I graduated from Harvard, I was in rank two. So I earned my place and I did well. Now, So there was immediate fallout after that. Um, Speaker Moore cut McNeely's mic. Uh, McNeely apologized, but it was there. It was recorded on video. It was immediately went out, got national attention. And uh, Democratic leader Reeves uh, uh, put out a statement, as well as something else that our former NNO colleague, but still a press corps colleague, Will Doran, had caught during the House abortion debate from the, we were talking about like having to sit other places where he heard Representative Keith Kidwell um, make a uh, insult, uh, Representative Diamond Staten Williams saying, where she was talking about religion and he said, maybe quips Church of Satan. Yeah. Um, so those were two things all within about 24 hours yep. or so that really changed, like the tenor in the house is really next level of um, not, being, not being happy with each other at yeah. all. Um, and Kidwell and McNeely are both in the Freedom Caucus, yep. which is this very ultra conservative group. I don't know exactly how many House members are in it. Um, Bobby Hannock, who's now in the Senate, was in it before. Larry Prittman, who's no longer in the House. Um, ben Moss as well. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And um, yeah, so McNeely said maybe what uh, he has said not on the House floor in the yeah. past and, and mm -hmm. said it and, you know, immediate um, condemnation I mean, from everybody. Yeah, he yeah, drew condemnation from everyone. There were some audible gasps. So people were. I mean, Representative Reeves, too, was, uh, he looked pretty uh, flabbergasted was the word that came to mind. He looked pretty shocked. Um, yeah. McNeely did apologize um, on the House floor. He also um, uh, reportedly, you know, apologized in private to Representative Jones, and, and Jones accepted the apology. So they sort of, um, you know, 
moved on from that, but you know, Jones also he said in a statement that that is inexcusable yeah. uh, language. That's you know something to sort of uh, question. Um, I, you know, I think what the interesting thing or the sort of noteworthy thing with with these incidents is this: you sort of see this happen. Uh, you have weeks on end where people are collegial and sort of uh, you know bantering around a little bit and. Uh, relations are pretty good between the two parties but then you have some high profile tense moments you have some tense bills come up or tense votes um, like the override for the gun bill that we covered a couple of months ago um, where debate was cut off on that as well and that was a tense moment um, so you sort of have this situation where republicans have you know they've achieved their um, supermajority and part of what that means is that um, you know when, when they sort of reach a point where they feel like we've debated this enough, we're, we have the votes to, to pass this bill into law to defeat a veto. We're gonna do what, you know, we have the votes, we're gonna do what's on our agenda. That sort of uh, inherently brings some, some extra levels of uh, tension. Of tension. Yeah. And you have, you know, we, we talked to, um, I, I caught Reeves after, uh, while that debate was going on and asked him about this and he said, you know, um, he thinks actually leaders of both parties in the House have uh, done a good job of maintaining decorum, but these incidents do pop up. And I think it's reflective of the fact that um, it's not just leaders who are sort of um, maintaining relations or maintaining decorum. You have 120 members. Right, and the House is so, a lot rowdier than the Senate. What do you think this means for the rest of the legislative <laughs> session? I was about to ask that to y'all, but. Uh -huh. um, I'm just curious to see if that'll have any consequences for those representatives who had kind of those outbursts in terms of future committees, appointments, or or if not, I don't really know. I so. think that, right, the committee appointments, um, the people in charge of the building also control where people's offices no. are. <laughs> so um, there's been payback in, in that way in the past, and the Senate obviously is much more formal, but um, mm -hmm. it was interesting to watch the interaction between Senate Leader Berger and the Democrats who um, spoke beyond their time and yeah. how they, in their very formal way, um, argued, which is a lot different than the, the House, which of course is notably more rowdy. Yeah. Yeah. So coming out this week, we've got sports betting is coming back again. We'll find out what happens. It'll be in the Senate. It'll probably change from the House and budget negotiations start. So part of the reason the Senate budget was kind of a dull debate is because it's not gonna be the actual budget, it's just the Senate saying this is what we want, we already know what the House wants, and then now the real budget is going to be negotiated um, behind closed doors pretty much for the most part. It, it so. is just one thing on that, it is, it is interesting to see the Democrats who voted for that budget in the Senate. Right, they'll probably mm -hmm. be and the, the being conferees. Yeah, that, right. that was interesting. All right, right, so let's go to headliner of the okay. week while we still have time. Um, uh, Luciana, who or what is your headliner of the week? Well, I have been wanting to go to the movies for a while. I haven't really seen any movie that catches my attention too much, but I saw that Fast and Furious I don't know what it is at this 25. point. Yeah, yeah. is uh, coming out. I don't know if I'll see it, but I thought that was interesting that that's still going on. So, all right, what's your headliner? Uh, yeah, going along with the movies, um, I'm a big fan of of, of Scorsese movies, mm. and uh, he's been collaborating with uh, some of his usual uh, favorite go-to actors, um, Leonardo DiCaprio, Robert De Niro. Um, so, really interesting-looking movie coming out later this year: Killers of the Flower Moon. Um, looks pretty intriguing, but great the cast. cast. Sounds great. Yeah, yeah, John Lithgow too. So mm -hmm. I'm excited Nero for that. And DiCaprio. 
Yeah. You've seen Departed, I assume. Yes. Then, right? mm-hmm. that's, I think that's probably my favorite Scorsese movie. So I legit became a Dropkick Murphys fan because Shipping Out to Boston was, yeah. was from that movie. Yeah. I don't know, even remember when that came out, but yeah. that's a good, good police movie. All right, my headliner, I'll also pick a movie. Um, it's not violent or has car racing. <laughs> it's Under the Sea. <laughs> it's the, the live-action Little Mermaid, which I really just cannot wait for at all. Never I've, been to a live-action movie, so... Um, well, we should go see The Little Mermaid yeah, together. Right? Yeah, um, I'm down. Yeah, so future <laughs> Under the Dome Little Mermaid crossover episode. <laughs> so, all right, uh, I'm Don Vaughn for Luciana and Avi. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next time. For more from our politics team, subscribe to the News and Observer at newsobserver.com slash subscribe. Follow us on Twitter at Under the Dome and NC Insider and sign up for our weekly political newsletter, also called Under the Dome, at newsobserver.com newsletters. Thanks for listening.